Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Beyond Grit with me, Robert Young. Um, do your kids ever do anything that just makes you surprised and make you cry? My daughter just sent me a text and it had a song on there and it said, like my father. And I sat there and I listened to it and it talked about, you know, having meeting somebody and dating somebody and falling in love with somebody that is like your father that will hold the door open, you know, for your mom and loves your mom and treats, you know, you with respect and is fun and can make fun of you and stuff like that. And I put it on and like halfway through, I was literally crying. And, um, those are the moments when you have kids and you're like, holy cow, like I really, you know, made an impact on them and, and I, they're, they're learning and they, they deserve somebody nice and somebody that will take care of them in their life. And, uh, it was just a special moment. So I shared it with you. Um, today my guest on, uh, is Luis Riviera and Luis and he, um, is he's a younger guy, but you know, when you listen to him, you're going to realize that, you know, he's, he seems older than he really is. Um, and he moved here from Puerto Rico when he was 12 years old. Um, and he was kind of, he was separated from his mom and he went to live with his dad and just the story of how he took, um, challenges in his life and just rose above and every single time he rose above he didn't let it knock him down he didn't let it you know boohoo in the corner um every single time he took the high road and he proved to people and i think he proved it mostly to himself that he is better than that that he has so much to give and so much to offer um his story is really really cool he was such a a, a, just a genuine nice guy and um, I hope you enjoy his story so sit back like I said get a cup of coffee something to drink and just listen to another great story so have a good rest of your week and I'll see you here next week How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Robert? Good. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time and for having me on. So Charles, your old coach, um, recommended you for the podcast and he wrote, I believe Lewis would make a great guest on your podcast. Lewis has an interesting story about overcoming adversity and challenges, coming to the U.S. as a ninth grader, graduating the top of his class and becoming a great collegiate and post-collegiate weight hammer thrower. He inspires me every day to be a better person and find gratitude in my life every day. That's not, that's pretty good. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I teared up a little bit. Charles or Dr. Inforna, as some people may know him. Um, he's more than a coach to me. He's actually closer to a father figure. Um, and I'm sure that we'll get into this, but he, he does the same for me, right? He, he paved a lot of the things that I know now is because of him. Um, the way that he is with his family, the way that he just takes on life. It's super motivational. Um, and when we met, it was at a time in my life where I almost had no direction. Um, <clears throat> I was a football player in high school, and I I believe that I was pretty good. I was the nose guard. Um, I had a couple schools looking at me, a couple of universities, Syracuse, Brockport, in upstate New York, um, St. John Fisher College. And then at the end of my junior year during practice, I ended up um, breaking my collarbone and, and tearing my rotator cuff. And, um, it was just one of those things where I, I, you know, you're young and stupid and you have a lot of testosterone running through you and you're like, Oh, I'll be just fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Little did I know that it was an injury that was pretty serious. Um, especially when, you know, your family doesn't have the, the financial stability to put you through physical therapy. And, uh, I'm sure we'll get into this, but my dad is kind of one of those people that's, <laughs> 
you figure it out kind of kind of person. Yeah. Um, and uh, so much so that it took him almost two hours to get to the school. So I was I had a yeah. dislocated shoulder and a broken collarbone for about an hour and a half, a total of almost two hours until we got to the hospital. Um, we called him. He goes, all right, I'll be there. <laughs> He was on speaker when my coach called him and he said, is he alive? And the coach says, yes. Is he breathing? Yes. He goes, all right, I'll be there. And I remember sitting in that office and time just passing by and the pain getting worse. And he showed up and I go, okay, we're finally going to the hospital. And then he goes, no, we got to go home. Your brother and sister, their bus is dropping them off and we got to wait for them to get home. So then I spent another probably 45 minutes at home before we went to, um, to the clinic to get checked out. Yeah. And that's that's totally different than today's parenting or most parenting, you know, but you know, I, I remember and not the, it's kind of the same thing. My, I was young and dumb and we used to climb trees and we were going to build a fort up in the tree and I fell out of the tree, boom, landed on my back and, I could barely, you know, walk out of the woods and, and my mom, you know, my my buddies went home, told my mom, Hey, you know, Robert fell out of the tree. She's like, can he walk? Yeah. They're like, tell him to get his ass home. And I was like, yep. Okay. <laughs> that's so, how I was. Oh, and, I, and, and, and when I say that's how I was, I mean, I'm 28 or yeah. about to be 28. So it was really, it was just where I come from and, you know, my family and, and just, you know, being Hispanic, it's, it's kind of, that's why, you, you know, the cars that you're dealt. You yeah. Know? And, and it, it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. And I'm just looking at it in this case, it worked out. And you took the good thing. Yeah. So what are you doing now? So now I am uh, technically a retired professional athlete, um, and I work for a company called ADP, Automated Data Processing, a Fortune 200, 250 company, um, and I'm a human capital management consultant. So I work with multiple businesses in um, optimizing their workforce, mm-hmm. pretty much reducing costs, minimizing risk um, through understanding, right? How much is an employee costing you? How are you processing payroll? How are you recruiting your people? And uh, yeah, I, I mostly cover the triangle here in Raleigh. So I have a really good territory. And I've been with the company now going in almost two years. Okay. And are you working from home now for the most part? Uh, no, or are you guys back in? A lot of my, a lot of my job is actually on the road. So today um, I was on the road today. Um, but if I'm not, we are allowed to be back in the office, obviously okay. with, you know, for those that are listening, we are still in the pandemic kind of. So, um, there's a couple of regulations around vaccines. So if you're fully vaccinated, you can walk around the, the office without any masks. Okay. If you're partially or not vaccinated, you obviously have to, um, do a self-assessment every day and wear a mask. Okay. Is your self-assessment just read these questions? And if you're experiencing any of this and you stay home or. You know, is that pretty much yeah. it? Pretty yeah, easy. yeah. Build, build, build in house. Uh, lucky to work for a company this large, right? We have um, people that work at the Pentagon and at the White House. When the mandate was coming down, we we're able to build something within our system that kind of supports that for employers okay. as well. That's cool. Oh, so, yeah. where did you uh, where did you grow up? So you moved here. Was it the ninth grade, or did you move here when you were twelve? I was twelve. Okay. So that um, so I think it was. I think it was fifth grade. Yeah, because it was 2005. It was was December 14th, 2005. I arrived in Patterson, New Jersey. So I was born in Fajardo, Puerto Rico, uh, which is on the far east side of of the island of Puerto Rico. But my family, uh, my mother lived in Vieques, which is an island um, about an hour an hour boat ride east of Puerto Rico, a population of about 10,000 people. So I lived there until the age of 12. And it was my mom, uh, my older brother, Alex, who is five years older than me, my sister, Genesis, who is one year older than me and then myself. So I was, I was the baby of the group. Um, so my mom was taking care of all of us um, by herself, right? So when talking about the relativity of my story in this podcast, that was my first example of grit with mm-hmm. my mother. Right. And at the time that was all I knew because I didn't know anything else until I got here. Right. Having a single mother with three kids and us not knowing any different was the standard. Right. She yeah. worked multiple jobs. And as far as I know, we had food every day. 
Um, we had, we missed a couple of Christmases, but you know, love was never missing. And, uh, we had our ups, we had our downs. Um, you know, my first and probably last babysitter was my older brother. Um, my first fifth fight was with my older brother because of that. And, um, you know, that's really where it started. It was me slowly growing up before we moved out and realizing, okay, I'm 10 years old now and I'm starting to see other kids and other families. And I can see that our life is a little different. My mom does everything by herself and somehow she's constantly happy and constantly providing. And, um, that's really kind of where it all began. Yeah. Did, uh, how old, what, what's the age gap between you and is your sister older? Cause you She's said that you older. were the younger. Okay. So she was pretty mm-hmm. close to you. How much older is your brother? Five years older. Okay. Did he kind of yeah. turn into the caretaker while mom was working? Or... 100%. Okay. All right. hundred percent. Yeah. And he was, and he was really good. I mean, my brother to this day, he's uh, well now, even though I'm the youngest on that side of the family, cause you know, once we get to talking to my, my dad's side, I'm technically the oldest cause my dad is remarried and I have two more siblings on that side, but my brother did an incredible job. Um, and I think it was just because he was with my mother, right. Before we all got there for five years. Mm-hmm. Now, Here's the kicker. My mom, my mom was 14 years old when she had my older brother. Oh, okay. 14 years old. So, um, again, that's the first example I had where it was like, you know, it's either kill or be kill kind of mentality. And some people may think that that's very aggressive, but that's all it took, right? Mm-hmm. She had her babies when she was a baby herself and she had to learn very quickly. Um, so she was 14 when she had my brother. She was 18 when she had my sister and 19 when she had me. And then my father was 20 years old when, uh, when he had me. Okay. So your mom, even your dad grew up pretty quick at yeah. 20 years old and your mom being younger and, uh, how is, um, well, we'll get there. Um, so what caused you guys to move from Puerto Rico um, over here? It's, uh, it's a very interesting story. So, um, again, life was, life was pretty good. It was okay. My father had moved to the United States when I was six years old, between six and eight. Um, you know, he moved here pretty much, you know, to, to be with my stepmom. I, I've, I've known my stepmom, my stepmom since I was about five. Mm-hmm. So she's been in my life for a long time. She's like a second mother to me. And, um, you know, he pretty much, they moved to, to have a better life. And then at that point, we were visiting back and forth. So my dad would come from upstate New York and come to Puerto Rico and see me one year. And then the following year, I would come up to the United States and see him. So we did that for about five years. And, um, you know, at some point, I think my mom started realizing that we were getting older and, uh, and, and she was probably getting lonely as well. Right. So she started dating and, uh, she was dating this, this guy who, let's just say he wasn't a great person. Uh, there was an, an incident where my mom, um, got pretty close to death and this guy was a threat to our family. And, uh, I'll never forget this. Um, she came home one day and set the three of us down and she asked my brother, who was the oldest, we're moving, we're going to the United States for better opportunity. Uh, we got to get out of here. You're the oldest. I'm going to let you decide what you want to do. You either come with me or you stay here with your godparents and his godparents at the time, his godfather actually was the head of police in the Island that we were at. So he decided I'm going to stay here with my God, you know, my godfather. And then my sister, she, uh, my sister always, she was a spoiled little brat. She loved being with her dad's side of the family and her grandma. So before the conversation began, she already knew I'm staying with grandma. Right. Okay. And then here I am thinking I get to pick. Right. And I was a mama, mama's boy. My mom was my everything. Right. And she goes, you don't get to pick. You're going to Rochester, New York with your dad for a year until I get everything together in Orlando. And then we're all going to come together. Your brother will have a choice, but your sister's coming. You'll come after I get everything situated there. Okay. Um, and just like that, we had our house packed. And a couple of weeks later, my grandfather, um, I have family in Patterson, New Jersey. So my, my, my dad's dad was taking a trip to New Jersey. He said, I'll bring him with me. And then his dad can come from Rochester and pick him up there. And I arrived in uh, New Jersey on December 14th, 2005. Man. 
just boom, boom. So, and you, you went up to live with your dad. Did your mom go to Orlando and, and stay in Orlando? Yep. She went, she went to Orlando and, um, you know, a year went by and I, I remember visiting her and the first time was the hardest because I was 13, almost 14 at the time. And I remember just the entire time just missing my mom. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was a big shocker because it had been a long time since I've lived with my dad. I technically never lived with him. Um, my parents were never married. They were never together. Like I've mm-hmm. never had a, um, a marriage right within the same household, um, other than my dad and my stepmom. But, um, you know, that was a shocker because I felt like I didn't, I was in this very important stage of my life, right. I'm growing, going through puberty, right. Which is probably a great time to be around a father figure. Yep. Uh, I also felt like I didn't know my dad. Right. But I also had to get to know these two new siblings, Isaiah, who is eight years younger than me. And then Jordana, who is, I believe she's 12 years younger than me. Yeah. Cause she's just turned 16. So yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to get to know, you know, all of this. And I also had to learn English. I also had to go to a new school district and I also had to adjust to just being in the United States and quite frankly, she's not knowing what was going to happen. Right. I, I, I didn't know. Yeah. I know if we were going to be able to go back with my mom and, um, the one time I visited her, I was like, can I stay? And she was like, you can't like your dad, you know, ultimately my dad decided that I was not safe for me to move back with my mom. Okay. We never moved back. So you, you were with your dad from then on. From then on. Yep. And and, in the beginning, it was really not my choice. You know, I, I fought as hard as I could. And, um, my dad is, uh, well, not is anymore. He was now he's, of course, now that I'm out of the house, he's turned into a little softy, but at the time, um, he was as hard as they, they could come, uh-huh. I, you know, and it was from the moment that I stepped foot into that, you know, that apartment at the time, it was perfection. It was, you're here because, um, I know that with me, you're going to end up where you should be. We are mom. That's not going to happen. And one of the first conversations we had was you're not going to like me. You're mm-hmm. probably going to hate me. Um, but what's going to come out of you, it's going to, you know, it's going to be the return of investment. It's going to be worth it. Yeah. But of course, I did not understand that. I didn't, I didn't know what that was because at the time I really just wanted my, I wanted my mom and I wanted a dad. Yep. I didn't want a Lieutenant. I didn't want a, someone that's going to break me down. But in his head, he felt like that's what he had to do in order to get out of me. Right. As much as he could have, because I was already 13. Right. I'm only a couple of years away from finishing high school. Yeah. His mind, it was, we need to get you caught up. And in order to do that, um, excuse my French, we need no BS, no bullshit. We need to just get to it and we need to get to work. And that was the standard from the very beginning. What kind of kid were you at 13? Were you a knucklehead or were you a a pretty decent kid or just scared? Um, I, I say that I've been, I've been very blessed with, always being um i've I've always been in tune with my feelings always so my mom since i was a very young kid she goes you are very empathetic you feel other people's pain you're very aware with how you know you're very in tune with who you are and i think that that has always been true and i I wasn't a bad kid i was Mm -hmm. i was really good um i mean in school, I, I struggled a little bit when I got to the U.S. Obviously, because of the language barrier, but I always tried for for, for perfection myself. And I think that that's where the divide came between me and my dad is that he was forcing something out of me that I was already heading there. You know, yeah. I was already going to be that good kid, but he he didn't believe it. So he imagine I'm my worst critic. So imagine me criticizing myself, but then also having the person I'm depending on criticizing Criticize. me on top of that. So, um, but no, I was a pretty good kid. Yeah. I always listened. I, I, I knew that we had no time to screw, like we didn't have time to screw around or screw around. We had to, we had to be focused. How was it fitting in moving up here? I mean, you go, you go from Puerto Rico and you're doing your thing and now you're all the way up in upstate New York and you're 13 years old where that is just a crazy 
time, you know, in your life and you've got young siblings. I'm sure they were like, who's this guy? And now you're going to a new school. How'd you, how were the people around you and how'd you handle it? So I went to, um, I remember my dad pretty much had everything set up. I went to Martin Luther King middle school on Clinton Avenue in Rochester, New York. And it was mostly, it was in like Hispanic community. So in regards to that, it didn't feel too weird, but it was a lot of Hispanic kids that were either born here or came here when they were little kids. So they knew a little Spanish. They understood the culture. Um, but of course, they still made fun of me, right? And I was like, oh, you know, I didn't have, I came with a, I think the brand was all-star jacket or coat that my brother, my brother's um uncle gave to him years ago so i had that i had all these torn up shoes and clothes that didn't really fit me and you know because it was winter time and i never had winter clothes only the but uh i had winter clothes from when i was younger and i would come visit but nothing that would fit because i was growing so fast and um it was just like okay you know the first couple days i i got to see you know this is the cool guy this is the athlete this is the all right now where you know where am i gonna be right Mm -hmm. and i think that that was my dad's biggest concern which is why he was so strict because it was i was just i was an easy catch right because if someone wanted to take advantage of me and say hello come hang out with us right Mm -hmm. they would probably pick me because i was lost and i was was looking for anything that would accept me right and that did happen a couple of times, but lucky for me, I didn't fall into it. And, and I kind of just, I was patient. I stayed to myself until a group of really good kids kind of said, come, you know, come, coming out with us. And I actually stayed friends with them throughout high school for a little bit until they decided to make bad decisions. And of course I kept on in my course. Okay. Do you look back now and, you know, appreciate your dad for laying down the law like that? Ooh, or, Robert, or, um, or is it, uh, it's, um, it's tough. Or was it pretty it, darn hard? It's, it's hard. I, uh, I actually had one of probably the most important conversations with them back in August, me and my girlfriend, we, we went back home. Um, oh, by the way, she's a real estate agent. Uh, oh, good. Well. so when I was talking to her about it, she works for DR Horn. Um, so she definitely was, you know, looking you up and stuff. And she, she, she thought it was pretty cool that I was going to sit down and chat with you. Oh, but, cool. um, we, we went back home and, um, it was one of those things where him and I don't really talk often. Um, and I think it's just because he's realized that although he, in certain aspects, did a good job, he missed the most important aspect, which is the relationship side. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, to a relationship, there really isn't one there um, because I felt like a lot of bridges were burnt in, in certain ways, right? Like I would always communicate and say, man, you're not doing it right. Like I'm, I'm trying to tell you that you, there's no need for you to do that. And he still would just go ahead and, and go on with it. Um, so the conversation we had a couple months ago was pre- pretty much around him apologizing and saying, you were my first kid and I did the best job that I could with what I had. And I know I made a lot of mistakes, but I was banking on you coming back home after college. And you never did. Mm. And, um, and in my head, I mean, I was out of the house at 18. I, you know, I, as soon as I, I got a really good scholarship, I was gone because I knew that I had to get out. Yeah. Even though I was that young and even though I wasn't the grown up, I knew that yes, he did a good job, but there were, there were other ways to do it. Yeah. Plus you had to be you, you know, exactly. You had to be you. When did you start, um, your sports career? Did you start out in football? Uh, no. So I've, I've always been a really good baseball player actually. And I'm, I never really talk about this, but when I was growing up in Puerto Rico, my brother loves baseball and, and every Saturday morning, you know, that's where I really learned like what having a dad felt like. Cause he would say, let's go outside. I would wake him up at seven in the morning and he would go outside and play cash with me. And I always loved the idea of being a pitcher. So, you know, my family was involved in church and I joined the church uh, baseball league. So I did that for a little bit. And then once I got to high school, high school, Monroe high school here and, or there in Rochester, New York, I started swimming, you know, and, and I started just 
seeing like, okay, like I'm pretty athletic. Like I can just see my body developing and how I messed up with other kids. And I was a pretty good butterfly swimmer actually. Um, So I did that for about two years. And then I remember the, our phys ed teacher saying, uh, Lewis, you need to try, um, track and field. And I'm like, I'm not going to run. He goes, no, you, you be a shot putter. And this is like my 10th, 11th grade. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell that is. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm doing football. Right. So yeah. I started playing football ninth or yeah, ninth grade, uh, ninth, 10th, ninth grade, I believe. And I fell in love with it because all this anger that I had and frustration, right? I could use it, but I, I also felt like I was smart and, um, and it was a sport that allowed me to, to realize that I was a leader, right? Because I always liked going by action and people would follow and coaches saw that. And that's one of the first time I started seeing coaches investing in me and saying, Rivera, you know, this, do that. And English didn't become my first language until I was 18, 19. I, I, I can almost remember the day where I stopped thinking in Spanish and talking in English, mm-hmm. where I started thinking in English and talking in Spanish. Like I literally remember the day being like, oh, that just happened. That's so I weird. Freshman, I was a freshman in college. So in high school, when I was playing football, a lot of that, you know, there was translation, but I knew that I loved the sport. I loved just being physical and lifting weights and two days during the summertime. <laughs> And walking, you know, five miles home from two days in the school and just, you know, drinking protein shakes and all that stuff. Um, and then, like I said, I, I played for a couple of years and I, I was pretty good. One year we went like four and four or we went uh, four and oh for like the first couple of weeks. And then we got beat. And these are inner, inner city schools, you know. So um, I have all kinds of people on my team. I have kids that are 18, 19 selling drugs. I haven't graduated. You know, I have kids that have no one at home and they just play football so they can have an extra meal and not be home by themselves. And, you know, there's me in between. My family wasn't super poor, but we were not high middle class. You know, Mm -hmm. it was my stepmom and my dad working and we should, to me at the time, I felt like we were just getting by and I never asked for anything. I got a job as soon as I could. I think I was 14, 15 because I wanted to be dependent. And, um, and then, you know, my junior year, that's when I had the accident during practice and I could never, I could never recover back from it. I was watching YouTube videos. Um, and I remember taking a, a can of beans to the basement and watching TV and while also watching YouTube videos and rehabbing myself. Right. Yeah. And my dad's like, where'd you get that from? And I'm like, I got to figure it out. So, you know, it, it wasn't, it didn't take long before I, understood that it was in my DNA that I could figure shit, I could figure things out because my mom always did. And that was mm-hmm. the first example I had, even though we're going through the worst things possible right now that I'm a grown up and I can talk to her about it. There's something that she goes, Oh, you had no idea what we we're going through, Yeah, you know, but it was never like life sucks. We need to quit. My mom never quit. So that was already part of my everyday. And, and I should carry that on as I moved here with my dad. Yeah. That's funny that you were down there rehabbing yourself. What else did you have though? You know, you, you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. And I remember reading and watching videos and they're like, well, you're rotated cuff. You know, once you stretch those tendons and muscles, they never really come back to its original size, but you can strain the muscles around it. And I'm like, okay, I know what I need to do. And that summer, once I felt like my shoulder was okay, I just started lifting weights. And I was like, I'm going to go to, um, I had gotten accepted to Nazareth College at that point. I, I received a really good scholarship where I actually started school early. I, I started college during the summertime to take six credit ahead of time so I could graduate early through the scholarship that I received. So I said, okay, I'll go to Nazareth, which is about 30, 35 minutes from where my parents live. And I wanted, I wanted to be as far away as possible. Yeah. Um, was you know, it an I, academic I, scholarship? Yep. Academic. Nice. Um, it was, it was a D three school. And, um, I go, I want to get as far away as possible from here. I, I had a lot of resentment and, um, and regrets in some sorts, but I said, okay, I'll go there and then I'll transfer out and play football at, you know, another D two, or maybe I can be a walk on a D one school. Um, but yeah. So that brought you there. And, that brought uh, me there. When did you start? So, you know, we just touched on the track and field. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and was did you find track and field in college? That was college. Yeah. Okay. So, so let me let me re- rewind, right? Because we're talking about like grit and understanding that you know what it means, right? Like being smart just doesn't get you there, mm-hmm. right? And that's something that I did read from the description of what this podcast is about. But I. Um, with the language barrier, right? That was a big challenge. And then once I got to high school, I was not the smartest, right? But I had this pressure from my dad. You have to be number one. Like you, you, you want to be different, right? You want to go to college. You have to be number one. So I remember the switch just turning on and me taking all these AP classes. Um, the first week of um, our senior year, the principal calls me and this other girl named Maria mm-hmm. into the principal's office. And she goes, just so you guys know, um, I'm letting, you know, I'm meeting with you to let you know that both of you right now are in the run to be a valedictorian. Um, so you have this year left, you have a couple months left to find out who's going to be. And it's determined on um, attendance and obviously your grade. Yep. Right. And I remember coming home super excited. Like super I'm like, oh my God, like I'm in contention to be a valedictorian. Like, you know, and all these memories of where I was and now I'm that kid, right? I'm, yeah. I'm the at I'm the athlete who's nice to everyone that everyone likes, right? And it's like that's the dream, right? I don't wanna be, you know, I've never been mean to anyone. I I just wanna love everyone and I wanna be smart and I wanna help people out. And the reaction I got from my dad was that's not good enough. Why, why, why is there someone else that's, you know, uh, contention to be valedictorian too? Like, that's not a choice. He goes, yeah. You better be number one. So, you know, that took the fun away from that pretty quickly. And I said, okay, so head down, ice forward. And uh, sure enough, I, um, I actually have a plaque from the U S army uh, that it says I didn't miss a single day of school from my 10th grade to my senior year. So I have perfect attendance in high school and I graduated with a 4.13. Wow. I was a valedictorian of my class. Um, and at that point, I knew I was going to go to, to, to Nazareth, still with the idea of playing college football. And um, when I was in that summer program, I met Kyrie Gale, who was recruited for track and field at a skinny atlas, uh, Syracuse skinny atlas or skinny atlas Syracuse. And he was a triple jumper. And he lived a couple dorms on the road and or down the hallway. And him and I became friends. And he goes, hey. Um, I'm going to go have lunch with the track coach. If you want to come, they're looking for athletes. It's a younger program. And, and I go, man, like I'm not, I'm not doing track. I'm not a runner. Right. And he goes, no, you would be a thrower. So I remember that conversation I had with my phys ed teacher. Uh-huh. Sure enough, I met coach James golf and he said, you can come on the team. Um, you know, you seem like a pretty good guy and um you'd be throwing you know you'd be throwing i go show me what what i'll be throwing and he showed me a 16 pound ball he showed me a weight which weighs 35 pounds of discus um a hammer and in my head again me being i go oh my god i can throw this 16 pounds (laughs) i can throw that better than anyone i've been i've been lifting weights since i was 12 like i can do that no problem Uh all right join the team then right and uh, so we went through that summer and then, you know, we were, the actual semester was going to start and I'm like, I'm going to live on campus. Like I'm going to make all these friends. I'm out of the house. I'm going to meet girls. I'm going to be able to drink. Yeah. I'm away from home. And right before that week, my dad goes, where do you think you're going? Like, do you know how much it costs to go there a year? And I go, I have a scholarship. He goes, even with your scholarship, it'll be $25,000 a year. Can you afford that? And I go, well, I'll take out a loan. And he goes, I'm not paying for your school. Right. So I said, all right. So at that moment, no questions asked. I had to put myself through college. So I had three jobs. I was a bartender and a bouncer. I worked at a grocery store, Wegmans. I'm sure you, I don't know if you've heard of Wegmans. I worked yep. at Wegmans. And, um, and then I worked at the gym at the school because I told James golf, the head coach, I said, listen, I can't do track. I know I said that I would do it, but I can't do it. I have to put myself through college. And right now I'm being forced to live at home, which is the place I don't want to be at. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes, what if I give you a job? And I go, what kind of job? He goes, you will work here in the weight room. You just check people in, you can do homework and I'll pay you. And I said, okay, I can do that because now I don't have to work somewhere else. I can work here on campus, get my homework done. That gives me time to train and do whatever it is I'm doing. Yep. And then later that week, uh, we had 
you know, we happened to get a new throws coach and that was Charles and Forna. And that was the first time I met him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, a, a lot of kids would have, God, I don't know if they would have absolutely turned on your dad or, you know, like you just went head down and you were like, fine, I'll do it. Fine. You know, and that was just, and it was like at the beginning that we talked about, you were like, I was going to do it anyways. And I had that mindset anyways. And, um, but yeah, to come home and they're like, yeah, I'm in the running to be a valedictorian. And then here, that's not good enough. Like, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, I applaud you for head down and getting out and and getting away and and kind of starting your own life and not and not sit back and say i can't do this it's 25 grand i can't do this fine i'm gonna go you know somewhere else you know you just you figured it out you gritted it out and that that's pretty awesome so now you met charles i just think that was a pretty cool story because it would have it would have beat down most people you know that that life would have beat down most people. And as much as your dad was trying to do good, most people would have fell, you know, to that. Like, I can't live up to you. It doesn't matter what I do. Right. You know, but, but in my, in my head, you know, that that was an option because I didn't know. I didn't know what quitting looked like. I didn't know what mm-hmm. being like, okay, I'm just done because I've never seen my mom do it. Yeah. Right? And and I saw what she went through. You know, I, I, I know what that bad guy did to her. I mm-hmm. saw it, you know, and she always picked herself back up and she said, let's go. And, and before we go into coaching Forna or Charles, um, during this time, uh, my freshman year of college, my mom, and she had moved to Indiana. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay. So my mom, it's far away from me, has cancer. And yet again, every time I talk to her, she's like, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'll be just fine. I'll figure it out. I'm good. Yeah. You know, so that it was, to me, it was just like, all right, then why, why am I not fine? Why can I figure it out? I don't have cancer. You know, yep. I'm, I'm 19 years younger than my mom. And as a, the way I look at it right now, all I see in front of me is, open highways, right. a lot of exits full of, full of opportunities. Yep. And it's up to me to decide where I go. hundred percent, you know, and that's just, that's the outlook that I have. And I think that with whatever you do in life, you're always going to have that moment where you, you, you have to be realistic with yourself and say, you know, you can, you're either someone that looks back and lets the past determine what you do in the future, or you're someone that goes, I learned from that. Right. But now the decision I make forward, I'm in control. Mm-hmm. Pass isn't in control. I'm in control because it's, it's clear. Yep. Um, but yeah, meet Charles. And I tell you, man, and uh, Charles, if you're listening, I, I love you and I appreciate you. The first time that we met, he did not like me at all. <laughs> I tell you, he did not. Uh, and it wasn't because I was a bad person. I just, I think that I gave him something to worry about. So we had this guy that was recruited, uh, Brandon Bulo. He was recruited out of Skinny Atlas, Long Island to be a shot putter. So he, you know, here's this guy who's been throwing in high school. He has a name out of New York and here's me. I've never touched one of these things ever. Right. Uh-huh. So right away, I'm like, here we go. I've been here before. Right. So by the time that I was 18, I could say I've been here before for more, you know, for a lot of things that people in my age group couldn't, you know, like me saying I have no money in my pockets. I've been here before. I've said that many a times, you know, things are hard. I've been here before. I've been through that a lot of times. So it wasn't scary to me. I actually felt comfortable. I felt comfortable being uncomfortable. I always, I always feel like that now. Right. And we'll get to that towards the end. Um, but I go, okay, let's do this. So he pretty much was like, man, you know, this kid is on uh, human biology, which I, I was put on that class. I didn't take it because it was my freshman year and I was failing it. I was like, I am not doing good in human biology. Um, couldn't get it, couldn't understand it. Um, and I go, hey, like, coach, I'm not doing good in this class. And the deadline for me to withdraw from it is this date. Right. And he goes, if you withdraw from that class, 
you're going to fall under the qualification of credits. You're not going to be able to compete. So at this point, it's like end of October, beginning of November. And our first meet was in December. And I've never still haven't touched an implement. So I dropped the class and he's pissed off. He goes, you can't compete. You know, I had trained, you know, a couple of days after that, I think I, I had one or two practices. I still had no idea what I was doing. And he goes, you can't compete until January because in January, the new semester, you're going to be up to 15 credits. You know, and at that point I was below 12. Okay. So he goes, go home. You know, Brandon's going to come back early during winter break so he can train. You can't. And, uh, and I said, all right. So to me, I was like, again, I'm comfortable. This is where I like to be. Right. I like, I like feeling like I'm, I'm getting the short end of the stick. So I come back and I train and he, I could feel that he was still a little skeptical about me. Right. I had no throwing shoes. Uh, Brandon, let me borrow a pair of his. So thank you, Brandon. And we went to a meet at, um, I think it was Brockport university. And at that meet, um, there's several techniques and that you can throw. Technically you, you do spins, right? You mm-hmm. want to do as many spins as you can within the circle. If you step out, it's a foul. But at the time I did not know how to spin. I only knew how to do a wind around my head and release it. Okay. So this thing weighs 35 pounds. So I do it. And I go again and I go again and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like they're measuring it. And I'm like, what is going on? But I was part of a team and I'm like, I loved it. Right. Yeah. And Charles goes, you just made finals. And I go, what? He goes, you're one of, you're the first kid in like over five years in school history to make finals in this event. So at that point I look at Brandon and he's pissed off because he was, although he was recruited to do shot put, he's overall supposed to be a good thrower. Right. Yeah. In a different event. And he was not happy that I made finals. And Robert, that was it. It was like a hit of the best drug I've ever had in my life because I felt like I found a sport that was made for me because it was, it was, it was independent. It was individual. Whatever happened in that circle was up to me. It wasn't up to my team, like in football or in baseball. And it kind of gave me a reminder of swimming and I love swimming, right? I love the water. But I was like, I, I love that my training and everything that I do by myself, we can do it in a team setting while we train. But when, when we compete, it's just me. Mm-hmm. The result is only going to depend on me. And uh, that was it. After that, I remember we went to, to different meets and I would say, okay, so I, my very first meet, I threw 1101, 11 meters and one centimeters. And, um, and oh, you no, weren't throwing the shot put. You were throwing, is it the, the hammer? Weight. The weight. The, the weight. So the weight is like a very short hammer. The weight, it's about a foot long. Okay. It looks almost like a kettlebell, but it has a swivel. So it's, you know, it moves around and it's a 35 pound ball with a handle. The hammer, it's about three and a half feet long and it's 16 pounds. Okay. So it's almost half the weight. Okay. Um, is that on a chain? It's on a wire. It's yeah, on like a, a wire. Flexible wire. People okay. say ball and chain, but it's a wire. It's yeah. a wire. Okay. Just so people know, you know, what you were throwing. Okay. Yep. And you guys, you know, for those that are looking, if you guys look up the Olympics hammer throw, it's an Olympic event. Those discus and shot put. The weight throw is not an Olympic event, but it is a sanctioned USA indoor championship event. Got it. Yep which I, I went to two USA championships and finished, finished six in the U S two years in a row. Wow. Um, so yeah, we started going to meets and you know, I had the bug. I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not transferring. I'm going to become an RA next semester. So I can live on campus so I can focus more on school. So I can focus more on track, get away from my family. Right. Cause at that point, um, I had, and we had an extra car in the house and my dad said, you know, congratulations on graduating. Congratulations on becoming a valedictorian. Here's this car. And I'm like, what? So excited and happy. And he goes, by the way, payments are two sixty a month and insurance is $65 a month. And I go, Oh, I see. So you're not giving me the car. You're pretty much asking me to pay it off for you. Yeah. And I did just that. I literally paid off the car and, um, and I, I, I got upset and I started taking the bus from my house, which, so I started getting up at five in the morning, take the bus from my house to downtown Rochester, downtown Rochester to Pittsburgh, where the college was. And then sometimes my dad would pick me up at the college. 
So it, it, was just, it wasn't a great experience, right? As a freshman, if you're trying to get out of the house, you're still coming back home to the same stuff. Yeah. Um, but I knew that once I started throwing, I wanted to be on campus and I wanted to dedicate, you know, everything to this because now I was an athlete again. So once Charles started seeing that, right, he, our relationship started then. And I think that he was able to see, okay, this isn't a kid who is per se a jerk. This isn't a kid who's cocky. This is a kid who knows who he is, who's gone through a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Right. And he should need someone. He needs a light giver because he's a light giver. That's why he is right. He was able to shine a light on me and say, this is what you're capable of doing. And we're going to take you there. And, um, after my freshman year, I, I broke the school record, which I wasn't a great distance. I think it was like 11 or 12 meters. And after that year, I said, what do you need me to do? So he gave me a lifting program. He goes, you do this all summer. And that summer, I put on about 10 pounds of muscle. I mean, I was I was in the gym every day. I was working full-time at Wegmans. And I was just work and work out, work and work out all summer long. And I would do drills. And I was just drill. And I would drill. So I went from that to then making it to to winning our conference my sophomore year, um, indoor and outdoor in the hammer. So then at that point, I had the records um, in three events, the hammer, the weight, and the discus. I, I, I've never been good in the shot put, Robert, so don't ask me about that. <laughs> Long story short, you know, earlier how I said, oh, I could do that. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, no. <laughs> Brandon Brandon was a shot put guy, but the, three, the other three events, I... I you know, I became pretty good at. And um, so then sophomore year, we started having conversations about nationals, right? So I approached Charles and I said, Hey, what does it look like? Um, You know, he had, he's had a, at that point he had a national champion from another school. So I said, tell me what that looks like. What do I have to do? How far do I have to throw? So we had that conversation and we put a plan in place and I said, okay. So I followed it. And by my sophomore, my junior year, I went to indoor nationals and I placed, I I was, that was my first time I became an all American and I placed seventh, I believe. And, um, the guy who placed first, he's still one of my good friends to this day. His name is Sean Donnelly. He's actually top two in the U S in the hammer throw. Um, he, um, he was at the Olympic trials this past year, but sadly did not make the Olympic team. And I remember saying, Hey Donnelly, if you, cause we got word that he was leaving D three and going D one to Minnesota. He says, I'm going to Minnesota. And I said, next year, I'm going to be the national champion. He said, okay, I'll come then. Okay. So I said, I'm going to come, I'm going to come from eighth place being an all American to being a national champion. And we went back that summer. Uh, we went back to, uh, the training and everything was perfection. Um, I was, I joined a internship program with Wegmans. It was a managing internship program where the company pretty much developed you to become a manager. And that's where I fell in love with HR and what I do now. Um, and I liked operations and I love business. So I, I lived in Virginia for a couple months and I trained there at the Gold's Gym in Arlington, Virginia and uh, came back and pretty much that year I didn't lose a single meet and I became a national champion and I have the I have a top five all-time distance um, in the weight throw in, in D3 division. So I went from throwing 10 meters and now my personal best officially is 22-1. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Amazing. And uh, your shoulder never gave you any issues with that? Oh, I- as soon as I became part of the uh, part of the sports team, I started doing physical therapy. With okay. The there at the All college. Right. Um, thank you, Pete. Uh, and he he took care of me for about three years. I had some elbow issues during that time as well. Um, but no, we rehabbed and and I I remained pretty healthy. Now that I think about it, there was never really a time that I had to miss a meet. I mean, when it, when you say textbook, I mean. That was me, you know, my girl, my girlfriend now, she was my girlfriend then in college and she would tell you she would write workouts for me while doing homework. And it was, I was obsessed. It was my life. I I was determined to be the best thrower, you know, that could be in the, in all three divisions, right? Mm -hmm. Like my goal was when I'm a senior and I win nationals, I want to make sure that I'm at least an all American, that my distance equals to an all American in D1. And it did. Okay. Um, so that was really one of my goals. And, and after that, um, 
you know, we, we go through the indoor season and I become a national champion. So I'm on a high, right? It's like, I did it. But very quickly, I, I told Charles, I was like, okay, what's next? He goes, listen, man, like, you just became a national champion. I was like, nope, season's not over. Now we have hammer throw. We have outdoor track and field, right? So the goal was to win that too. But I, my development in the hammer, because the hammer is more technical, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lighter ball, so you have to be more technical. The weight throw is more of a group sport, 35 pounds. So I came just a little short, and I finished third at nationals. But I finished with a throw of over 60 meters, which in Division Three was one of the most competitive competitions in D3 history. Okay. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, that's how we made it to, to the end of, of my college career. Wow. We definitely finished it on the high. Yeah. hundred percent. And then you went, um, did you go and train to, um, try to get on the Olympic team? Yes. So, um, that's, that's really where the challenge started because, um, I go, what, you know, what now? what I do now, you know, I have all these skills and this love, the, the sport that I'm in love with, but what are we going to do now? So Charles said, we can apply to be part of team Puerto Rico, which we did. Um, you can get your masters to so like that. Your loans are deferred and you can get an internship so you can get some money, but you can train. And I did that. So I moved to Buffalo, New York with a best friend of mine. Actually, I spent my first year of grad school in Rochester, and I was working at Wegmans. I was um, going to grad school, and I was training. And then Wegmans wasn't cutting it for me. I felt like I had a degree, you know, and I wanted to work in kind of a corporate America setting. And, I, and at that point, I started. I went to. I got my MBA in human resource management. Okay. So I fell in love with HR. So I started working for um, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rochester, New York in the HR department, moved to Buffalo and just kept training and traveling and competing and just getting better. Right. I would, I would work at my internship. I would drive, I would drive an hour to Rochester in the morning to go to work. Then I would go train. Then I would go to night class and then I would drive to Buffalo and get to Buffalo like 11 PM and do it all over again for two years. Mm. But every time I, I had a break, there is this coach uh, named Judd Logan, who is a four-time Olympian, and he was the American record holder in the hammer. So the last, I'll say from like 1995 to about 2012, any hammer thrower from the U.S. came out of Judd Logan. So he was like an idol to me and Charles, and um, I became friends with one of his athletes at Ashland University. And I would travel and I would travel to go train with coach Logan under his supervision. Right. But I was, you know, I felt like I didn't belong there, but he would slowly kind of let me into the family. Cause it's a very close knit group, like the elite of the elite. We're talking mm-hmm. here, right? Like people travel from all over the world to come train under him. So Charles always talks about when he was my age, he wished that he kind of put life on Paul, like wife, kids and all these things. And, just moved out there and trained so he would kind of just tell me go do it like you're not going to regret it no questions asked i said okay as soon as i graduated i I graduated in may of 2017 18 and um about a couple weeks later i was in ashland ohio training there doing a training camp Mm -hmm. but the purpose of me going there was to ask joe logan hey can i move here and if i move here will you train me and sure enough, I was training and I was throwing and he was giving me tips and I go, Coach, Coach Logan. Um, and by the way, he's someone that kind of talks at you. He doesn't talk with you. Okay. When I say this, this guy is, you know, look him up whenever you get a chance. He's very interesting. He just beat cancer last year as well while still working out. Okay. Um, but I, um, I asked him and me thinking that he was going to say no or whatever. He goes, yep. <laughs> that was his response. He goes, yep. That's, that's it. That's like, that's his famous line is, yep. So I go, okay. And he goes, let me know when you move in. So I go, all right. Yeah. That that was it. So I started, you know, here I am with a master's. I'm up to here in student loans, right? Because I've got my master's and I, even though I had a scholarship, I still had some debt for my undergrad. And now I'm really feeling the stress and I'm like, oh man, follow my dreams, go after the money, right? Because I was qualified to have a really good job. And I actually mm-hmm. got a, I had several offers and I said, no, 
no regrets. Here we go. Packed everything up, moved to Ashland, Ohio. I got a, a job in the graduate admissions office and uh, my salary was $32,000 a year. Okay. With student loans of $1,000 a month payment. <laughs> so I go, okay, here we go. Let's do it. Started training right away and it was all business, no play. He goes, I'm going to break you and then I'm going to rebuild you. And I said, okay. And that's pretty much what he did. I mean, I tore my, I have several fractures on my fingers. I tore my, my, um, my left forearm. Uh, I had problems with my wrist, um, some problems with my knee, but I mean, I was squatting over 400 pounds. I was cleaning and jerking over 350. I was deadlifting over 600 pounds. I was traveling. I was throwing over 65, close to 70 meters. Um, I went to USA Indoor Nationals, finished top six in the U.S., um, and everything was going great. Charles will come out and visit. I, I actually got let go from my admissions job a month in. So oh. I started working at Under Armour, getting paid eleven fifty an hour as a retail <laughs> worker. And uh, yeah, man, I gave it my all while I was there. And I think that although making an Olympic team would have been the goal, um, a couple of things happened. Coach Inforna or Coach Logan, my first year that I'm there, gives me a call while I'm working at Under Armour and goes, hey, can I tell you something? Don't tell anyone. I'm diagnosed with cancer. Um, it's very serious. I need you to step up and be my throws coach at Ashland University. Mind you, this is Ashland University, the number one. This is like the Valhalla of throwing. Like uh -huh. people come from all over the world to come train at this place. Okay. Um, Ashland University is ranked over D1 throws programs. Like their D2 throws program is number one in the country. And I'm in the front. I'm like, what? He goes, yep. I'm putting you on payroll at Ashland University. You're a coach. He goes, call me back if you want it. Just hangs out. And I go, what just happened? That You know, the guy who's my idol, the, the school that I've always wanted to train at, and now he's calling me. So I said, yes. So I, I quit Under Armour, and I, I started coaching this group of athletes. And, and the man that I looked up to trusted me with his group while he was going through chemotherapy. And mm -hmm. um, he was on a clinical trial that didn't really know if it was going to work. Long story short, it did work. He's, he's in remission now. He's doing great. And uh, once the pandemic hit, I think that I was just in a very rough spot because I'm like, okay, I'm 26. I want to have a family. I want to be successful, right? And uh, I just felt like my body was trying to break down, but I also felt like I had to, I had to, I was almost getting too comfortable, right? And I was like, I need to be uncomfortable again. Mm-hmm. So I called one of my best friends who lived there and I said, Hey Jack, do you mind if I stay at your house for a couple months? Um, I'm applying for jobs and packed everything up in Ohio, gave my salutes to Coach Inforna uh, or Coach Logan and moved on to Raleigh. How long did you coach for? Uh, it was the outdoor season of 2018, I believe. How did you... They became national champions that year, by the way. Did they? How uh, did you like switch in that role? of going from athlete to coach. It was tough. It yeah. was very tough because I had friendships with the athletes, right? Like I was, I was one of almost one of them. I was trained, I would train with them. But I think that, you know, when coach Logan sends a message, it's respected. So he goes, Lewis is in place now, respecting whatever he says goes kind of I mean, thing. And those no questions asked. Good. Good. And, uh, and then that took you from there to, did you get a job offer in Raleigh? Is that what mm -hmm. took you there? Well, okay. So, so while, while I was in Ohio after Under Armour, right. And during this time of me coaching, I found another job uh, managing nursing homes. So I was like the environmental um, manager for nursing homes. So I had a couple different accounts and that's where I got like my, my first taste of sales. Okay. And I loved it because it made me feel uncomfortable and yeah. I'm sure you can relate what that's like. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I, I did that for a year and I actually moved down here with that company and I managed a couple nursing homes here. Um, but I, I knew where I wanted to be. I've, I've heard of ADP years ago and I knew what they, what they were doing. Um, I felt like me working in an office as an HR generalist or an HR manager, it's just the same thing every week. Mm -hmm. um, but now when you throw sales into it, you have the pressure of performance. You have the pressure of um, networking with people. And I go, I like that. 
I yeah. like being uncomfortable. I like, I like having that pressure. Um, and here, you know, this is where I am now. So your girlfriend, you had the same girlfriend now that you had in college. Did I hear yep. that right? Yep. And, so we spent some time apart, right? When okay. I went to Ohio and stuff like All that, right. but luckily the way it worked out, her family moved, moved to Lake Norman. So when I moved to Raleigh, right, she was already close by. Okay. Because that would have been tough for some people. You know, you get the girlfriend and now you're right. leaving to do this. And that was, that was really cool that she said, go do it. A hundred percent. You know, and not, you know, well, you got to choose me or this, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that would you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That happens, you know, um, no, that's a, that's a remarkable, um, story of, of somebody, you know, like I said, I think that was ingrained in you early on, especially watching your mom and, and not knowing the difference, you know, what you, you know, your life that you lived in Puerto Rico was, that's what you knew. And mom works hard and my brother and, and sisters and it's us and we've got to keep moving and persevering and, and then to have that, you know, example of when you moved over with your dad and from there on, you know, it was, uh, it was good. You know, I see a lot of that, you know, um, of you kind of, you know, the way that I grew up too, not, not super hard, but it wasn't, there wasn't a lot that was like handed to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I got out, it was, there's no, I'm going to work because I'm going to be on my own. I'm going to do this and I'm going to survive here and move on. And, um, and it's good. And it's good when you, when you find those mentors, you know, like Charles, Yeah. yeah, you know, to and you then they see that in you and those are special people um to take you under your you know their wings and and help you along which absolutely is, he's, he's been he's been more than a gift i mean I, I i haven't seen him in a while so i'm looking forward to seeing him again and even his kids like they love talking to me and he, he has such a great wife so uh, to be able to have people close to you like that, right, that are willing to invest time. I mean, he's taken me to so many conferences and the, you know, the company he started, Force Athletics, that sponsored me. They were one of my first sponsors, right, as when I became a professional athlete. You know, I had I had the opportunity to join other, other companies. And I remember we were driving back from Spire Institute in Ohio, and we're like, let's just create our own shit. And we're like, yeah. let's do it. So we created Force Athletics, and um, I was the first and only athlete for like the first year. No one knew who it was, and we had these shirts, and some people bought them. Coach Logan loved them, so he would wear them. People were like, "What is that company?" So, um, you know, we had a, a really, really good run. And not to say that I'm fully done, right? Like I think that once I get a little bit more comfortable here in my job. I think that I'm I'm possibly have the opportunity to give it another go, right? Maybe for 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the financial stability is one thing as well because it costs money. Um, and trying to be a, a professional athlete in a sport that doesn't pay, yeah, um, is tough. So, and we have goals of like you know buying properties as well and buying our own home and and definitely want to take care of that. I think that also just allowed me to focus a little bit more on the athletic side, but even aside from that, like now, you know, I'm into a lot of things. Like I'll, I'll do CrossFit on the weekend mm-hmm. with some of my friends. Um, I entertain the idea of doing an Ironman, but I think that I'll do one next year possibly. Um, and I'm into guns and hunting and technical stuff. So all these things keep me busy for now, you know, and I think that, once work becomes kind of like second nature, which as you know, in sales that happens once you're in territory for a little bit, I think that I'll be able to kind of give it another go. Yeah. Or uh, we, we fully shut, shut it down. That'd be exciting. Absolutely. Have you looked to uh, dabble in the coaching side? I did. I actually did. I, I, I still do here and there more like a consultant. Like I still have a couple kids that are, that I coached when they were in high school. Now they're in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of great success stories. My number one is going to be Monique Hardy. She's now at 
uh, Kansas State, but she went to LSU. She got um, she transferred this year to Kansas State, but she was a freshman at LSU last year on a full ride. Um, and that was the first experience, Robert, I had where I felt like I was passing it on. Um, Monique, she's from Rochester, New York, and um, she was a soccer player. And her brother actually went to school with me, and um, we did a clinic, and she came to the clinic. And I remember telling Charles, I was like, that girl's going to be special. And he goes, coach her. And I said, I don't know how. He goes, yes, you do. He goes, you're, you're probably a better coach than I am. Like, you're living it, breathing it. So I remember having a conversation with her parents and they're like, oh, she's doing soccer. And I go, we'll coach her for a year. No charge. She's going to she's going to break the New York State high school record. And they go, oh, OK. Broke the high school record. Um, won New Balance National. She was number one high schooler in the country and got a full ride to LSU. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then I, and then I have a couple more. Um, I have one in Ohio State right now that I coached when I was in Ohio. Um, I have another one that went to a school up at, I think it's closer up to Maine. I can't think of the name. Um, Drew Palermo is his name. Uh, he was a really, really good kid. And then Wilberto ended up going to Oneonta in New York. So yeah, I, I did have a couple high schoolers that I kind of just said, how bad do you guys want this? You know? And, and I think that I was in the very beginning of where the sport started to gain a little bit more attraction. So now the scholarships are larger. So throwers, you know, rather than the 60 meter sprinters or the hundred meter sprinters getting the scholarships, throwing is becoming popular. Like if you hear about Ryan Krauser, who's a two time Olympic champion in the last eight years, you know, he's now starting to get known across the world. So these kids were able to go to college for free, you know, and I'm not saying it's because of me, but, just to know that I was able to play a part, you know, even if it's one percentile of it, um, it's super rewarding and, and the ability to be able to pass it on. Um, yeah. And I still have a couple of kids again that will hit me up on Instagram and send me videos and I'll, you know, I'll give them tips here and there. Um, but in the future, I think that I'll definitely love to do that, you know, as a, maybe like a part-time job or something like that. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Man, I appreciate you sitting down with me. Your future, you know, I'm going to, I just want to keep in touch with you and uh, follow you along on your journey because, um, man, your future just looks great. I'm excited for you. Excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'll make sure to connect with you. Um, if anyone wants to follow me or chat, yep. my Instagram is Lewis for real, L U I S, the number four real, R E A L. Um, and uh, yeah, I think my, my LinkedIn link is on there as well. Professionally, um, you guys know what I do for a living. So if anyone needs help with any, any HR integrations, let me know. Um, or any coaching, more, more than one to help. Plus, I just love having conversations with people and learning about other people's story. Um, but Robert, thank you again for the opportunity. And, and if possible, we'll love to do this again later on in life. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beyond Grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about it. You can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms, and be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care. <laughs>